Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to The Novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. The Novelcast will always be free. However, if you like the show and want to donate your support, please go to patreon.com slash novelcast and become a patron. Any amount is extremely helpful and deeply appreciated. Cybersource, The Awakening, Chapter 33 October, 2111 Stanley Mason stood in the dining room of his new home, the apartment a shining example of the new life he and Regina would be leading. He was dressed formally, suit and tie, cufflinks and pocket square, all traditionally tailored and made from actual fabrics. The suit felt heavy, thick, but he couldn't deny a certain level of nobility, an air of importance that seemed to come with it. A feeling that was lost with the nanomachine-filled neo-leather attire he was accustomed to wearing. And today was a day of importance. Regina was swiftly becoming a notable mind in her field, a person whose research was more than a collection of simple experiments held together by a half-assed thesis. Her work was getting noticed, and now, thanks to her publication in the National Journal of Applied Sciences, she would be noticed even more. It would be impossible to talk with people in cybernetics integration without at least one of them knowing who Regina Santos was, and that pleased Stanley greatly. He had never cared much for the high society life, even when he fell in love with someone who was very much a part of it. Regina had always been an amazing wife and a talented engineer, and how or why she could ever fall in love with a hopeless romantic, a dreaming artist like himself, was beyond his understanding. But she had, and he thanked God for that every single day. Stanley watched her from across the room as she stood in that elegant red dress, looking beautiful and sexy and confident as she spoke with some of their guests. His green eyes took in the shape of her body, the flow of her hair and the excitement on her face. He knew, at that very moment, that he was undoubtedly the luckiest man in the world. Quite a place you have here, an older gentleman said as he approached Stanley bringing his attention back to the present. Stanley turned to regard him and recognized the graying hair and the worn face quickly. Dr. Wolf, Mr. Mason, Harland Wolf said as they shook hands. Uh, thanks for the compliment, though none of this would be possible without her, Stanley said, motioning to Regina. Harland smirked. There is a great deal that wouldn't, I'm sure. Stanley eyed Harland skeptically, sensing a thinly-veiled insult in that statement. He tried to ignore it, moving over to the beverage cart and refilling his drink. He offered more to Harland, who accepted emphatically. So, tell me about your work, Doctor. Harland sipped his drink. Well, up until now, we've worked fairly exclusively with the bioengineering market. We've done work on the refinement and re replication of crops, and even taken a few jobs to help Genetech with their next-gen crafter applications. Oh, really? Yeah, Harland responded. They brought on my team after their first test runs failed. Oh, yeah, I remember reading about that. How is that all looking now? Can, can you even say? Harland shook his head. Sorry, but I can't. 
All I can say is that my team has worked diligently on the tasks given to us. <laughs> I'm sure you did, Stanley said. They stood in brief silence, Harland sipping his drink and looking around the room as Stanley quickly thought about what it was that Genetech actually did, and what Harland's work with the company could have been. Genetech was a company that went in and out of the public eye frequently, as it dealt, exclusively and directly, with the manipulation of the human genetic code. The next-gen crafter program was announced by Genetech about a decade earlier, and they had yet to release it for the open use, due to its instability. The next-gen technology, which had been in full use for many years, allowed partners to submit their genetic code to Genetech in order to see the projected likeness, behaviors, and career paths of their potential child. Expanding on this window into the future, Genetech's ambitious project, titled Crafter, uses the same basic technology, but allows the parents to handcraft their potential child, either by making slight adjustments to the child's genetic code, or by allowing the parents to craft the child from the ground up. Crafter, given the nature of the project, requires many years of extensive testing, in order to ensure that subjects created from scratch are, by all accounts, viable and functional through adulthood. However, if Stanley remembered correctly, their first round of testing didn't get very far. Subjects of the initial tests of the program barely made it to successful birthing. Of the volunteers, 93% experienced developmental complications while still carrying the child. Most of the pregnancies ended in stillbirths, with all successful births resulting in the infants dying of unknown causes within the first three months of life. Finally, as if this weren't tragic enough, some of the mothers involved in the tests were rendered infertile, and a small handful of mothers died before, or during, the birthing event. It was a horrific event that brought the wrath of the public onto Genetech. However, thanks to the Progression Protection Act, a corporation did not have to publicly release results of any of its experiments until five years after the experiments were completed. Stanley remembered reading about the controversy of the Progression Protection Act, and how it was being challenged by public officials in communities and cities across the nation. By the time the public was rising in protest to Genetech's actions, the company was already pushing forward with their second phase of testing. Luckily, this phase proved much more humane, and since Genetech appeared to be making progress in their development, one nation did not pursue legal action, or force the company to cease its program. Children birthed with the second generation of next-gen crafter were, by all inward and outward accounts, normal, healthy human beings. The only noticeable issues were that the children, for the most part, did not resemble the projections that were originally made. Stanley remembered reading about one specific instance where a Canadian family gave birth to a child with the DNA of someone who was 100% Spanish. He could only assume that Harlan's team had been brought on to try and fix the second generation of problems Genetech was facing, although these new problems had all the severity of misfiling genetic information. I must say that uh, dinner was quite good, Harlan said, breaking the uncomfortable silence. Stanley's thoughts were interrupted as he turned to consider the older man. Oh, thanks. Just wait until dessert. Well, I wish I could, Harlan said, finishing his drink. But I'm afraid I must leave. Really? The night is still young, Doctor. I'm sorry, but my work demands the utmost of my attention. It was a miracle I could find the brief window to attend this celebration in the first place. Well, it is in honor of your new chief assistant, 
Stanley continued without looking directly at Harland, instead turning his vision across the room. I'm sure you could find the time to give her the congratulations she deserves. Harlan looked down at the shorter, younger man, his face appearing cordial enough, but his eyes shining with recognition at the veiled sting of Stanley's remark. I wish that I could, he said. But in our line of work, someone always has to keep diligent. Maybe in the future the opportunity will arise for me to allow an assistant of mine to undertake the extra work while I enjoy an evening off. Stanley smirked. Well, Regina tells me you're currently between contracts, he said snidely. Surely whatever work you have to get back to can wait. I'm afraid it can't, and I fear I've already jeopardized its integrity by being away as long as I have. Stanley nodded, his words partially mocking Harlan's unflinching devotion to his work. Fair enough, Doctor. I won't keep you any longer. Perhaps we can get together in the future and get to know each other better. I have been looking forward to finally meeting you. But, seems that will have to wait. It appears it will. Stanley extended his hand again. Good night, Dr. Wolf. And Harlan clasped it in a firm shake. Good night, Mr. Mason. Stanley clenched his jaw and watched as Harlan moved off to wish Regina a good night. Sipping his drink again, Stanley came to the conclusion that he didn't care for his wife's new boss. He seemed, as far as Stanley was concerned... Far too self-obsessed, Harland Wolf was the perfect example of what Stanley hated about high society. Stanley blinked, his mind pulled back to the present as Harland Wolf strode out the door of their apartment. In his field of vision, his Omninet display blinked with a green light, a message reading, Missed Call, Dr. Terrence. He looked at the door for a brief moment, his mind lingering on his suspicions and uncertainties of Dr. Harland Wolf and then he shifted his gaze back to Regina, his thoughts softening as he saw her walking over to him. How was that? she asked. How was what? You and Harland. I noticed you two were talking. There wasn't much to it, Stanley said. It was quite brief, considerably stuffy, and rude. Oh, come on now. I'm sorry, Regina, Stanley said, but I just don't trust him. Why did he have to run out like that? Who knows, she responded. He probably has a lot of work to do. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Regina smirked and took Stanley's glass. Let me get you another drink. Stan smiled. No, thank you, he said, and leaned in to kiss her on the cheek. I have to step outside quick. I got a call from Dr. Terrence. She looked at him, her eyes intense. How do you feel? Stan shrugged. How should I feel? I, I don't know. Are you nervous? We can end the party now if you think that's best. Honey, he's probably calling in to tell me it's nothing, and until I hear otherwise, I'd like for us to treat it as if that's the case. Well, I'll still be worried. Well, then drown it out with the fountains of scintillating conversation with all of these wonderful people. Don't be sarcastic. He kissed her again. It's going to be nothing. Enjoy your evening. I'll be right back. She looked into his green eyes for a few moments longer, and with some effort she smiled at him, though her mind was still filled with concern for the doctor's message. She kissed him on the lips, 
and then moved to rejoin her friends. Stanley watched her go before moving towards the balcony, mentally pulling up the doctor's number and opening a call. Dr. Terrence picked up just as Stanley stepped onto the balcony, lit by the neon lights of the city around him. Present. Dr. Harland Wolf stood in the cold laboratory, the large, silent, round stasis pod dominating the center of this room. It was nearly 25 feet tall, its sleek edges reflecting the lab's light with a clean, metallic sheen. Countless cables and tubing ran into it, snaking their way along the floor or feeding into it from the ceiling. While the pod was pulled directly from Harland's own facility, the devices, programs, and subroutines it was linked into were now almost decades ahead of anything Harland had at his disposal. The laboratory of Dr. Simon Temple was like something out of a science fiction film, and Dr. Temple himself was a real, living, mad scientist. Harland would have laughed at the absurdity of it all had he not been filled with tension, anxiety, and the hints of cold fear by simply being in the man's presence. Dr. Temple adjusted his goggles as he bent over his work, his fingers tapping rapidly on the panels of the table in front of him. The electronic displays glowed with a green color scheme, and seemed to hover barely an inch above the table's surface. The various buttons, switches, and tabs reacted as his fingers touched the green light, and it was a strange display to observe. Harland was so accustomed to doing everything on his Omninet display, recording observations, composing notes, and applying modifiers to his experiments with nothing more than a direct, specific thought. He tried to use conventional keys and buttons as little as possible, to free his hands up for more important work. But Dr. Temple spent most of his time, at least most of the small amount of time that Harland had spent with him, at the electronic terminal. The green keys and buttons were nothing more than holograms, but they reacted when Temple's fingers broke their pane of luminescence. It had the same effect of typing on a traditional plastic keyboard, except that this panel could be customized, changed, minimized, and manipulated quite easily. Dr. Wolf, Temple said, without raising his masked head from his work. Let me be the first to congratulate you on your achievements. Harlan turned away from Dr. Temple and looked at the stasis pod again. A nameplate had been added to the front panel of the pod in the direct center. There, in block text, was engraved the name T-Y-R-E-X-013, Gabriel. Thanks, Harlan said, but this subject in particular is far from complete. The soft beeps of Temple's keystrokes came to a stop as the man looked up at Harland, the cold, dark goggles and black, skin-tight mask offering all of the emotional display of a machine. Oh yes, but... Gabriel is swiftly coming round, Temple said. With my processes and your integration, this child should be ready to walk in mere hours. That's all that you need me for? Harland asked. Integration is the most difficult segment of this entire endeavor, Temple said, returning to work. In fact, that's what I was congratulating you on. 
your recreation of an extinct life form, while impressive in its completeness, is not entirely unheard of. It isn't? Temple continued, as if Harland hadn't said anything. But it is your integration of electronic software directly into the organic brain matter that is most astonishing. It's been done before, Harlan said. The Omnidet itself is a far greater achievement than anything I've done. There you are wrong again, Doctor. The Omninet allows organic access to an electronic database. It is the ability to read a book without holding the book. Nothing more. It is simple, and its integration is tied to the installing of the Omninet chip. It is limited, in that the chip can be damaged, it requires maintenance every few years, and it can be removed, though with much effort. It is imperfect. Perfection is a loft standard. But not unattainable. You are well on your way to perfection, Doctor. Your bioelectronic integration methods use minimal peripherals, with little to no hardware required at all. Anything necessary to your work can be installed completely internally, surgically added to the brain of the subject. Not exactly a method with mass public appeal. True enough. Consumers generally do not enjoy the process of neural surgical installation, even if it is for the betterment of their lives. People just like to be left alone. Temple stopped his work and straightened, looking at Harlan's back as the doctor continued to observe the quiet, still stasis pod. Do you believe that they should? What? Harlan asked, turning to look at Simon. Do you believe that people should be left alone? Yes. I believe in the importance of bioengineering and the creation of technology that will increase the quality of life for people, but I think that is up to the person what sort of drugs and electronic hardware they want in their bodies. And if you could save a life through electronic integration, but this life didn't wish for the integration, would you let the person die? Harland clenched his jaw and turned away, looking at the stasis pod again. Yes, he said quietly. Even if it was someone you loved. What's your point? Harland snapped. We are man, Dr. Wolf, Temple said. But men like you and I are special. We have been gifted fire and it is up to us to share this gift with humanity. That's an oddly philosophical view, Harlan remarked. I believe the words you are looking for are delusions of grandeur. I've heard it before, but it does not change the fact that we have gifts, Doctor, and it is our moral obligation to share those gifts. And what exactly do you believe those gifts are? Harland asked, incredulously. You have the ability to blend technology and biology with the precision and care of an artist. It isn't seamless yet, but if you could continue to hone this skill, it will become so. And what is your gift? Temple folded his gloved hands in front of him, 
his head looking down towards the floor. My gift, unfortunately, isn't an innate understanding like yours. Mine is the gift of enlightenment, and I wasn't born with it. It was handed to me. From who? Simon raised his hands, indicating the room, the building, the company. His posture and his words came across like a religious fanatic, a devout believer of a strange, technology-based faith. From one nation, he said. Or, more specifically, from the senior executives of one nation. Through their seemingly infinite knowledge, I have learned more in the last few years than ever before. And, combining that with your ability to merge flesh and spark as naturally as evolution itself, we can truly elevate humanity into a realm of perfection in which it belongs. Harland looked at Temple, and even though the words the man was saying sounded as ridiculous as ever, he couldn't deny the shiver of cold fear that found its way up his spine. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.